If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I hope everyone had an amazing week. Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. I have actually been out the past two Fridays and I've had um, my co-host or my guest host, Jonathan Kimmett, um, he was running my shows. Well, I was actually over in Italy. I went to Italy with my daughters and spent the last two weeks there and it was amazing. And I'm back in the United States, but still have a little sadness that I'm not over there. But I am here with you all today and I'm excited about that. We had, while I was away, we had an event in Tampa last week and it was it actually it was one of the first events that I've missed in five years, and I missed a good one because it was a packed, packed house. We had to do some overflow rooms, and um, for those of you that don't know, uh, Future I'm also the CEO of FutureCon, and we put on cybersecurity conferences all over North America, and we run those in a hybrid mode, so we usually have about 300 people attend these events. They're one-day events, and we had more than we expected in Tampa, and we had to kind of virtually stream some people at an overflow room, but everyone was happy. If you go read any of my posts on LinkedIn or the FutureCon LinkedIn, you can see how great that event was. And it doesn't end there. We are off to Salt Lake City in a couple of weeks, and we still have many events coming up for the remaining part of 2023. So check out our website at FutureCon Events. Dot com. Um, I'm sure that we are eventually coming to a city near you and we would love to have you participate. Just give me a DM and I am happy to get you into our events. So today I'm super excited because I have our keynote speaker that was in Florida last week when I was not there and he did a fabulous job. I have Dave Summit. He's the VP Cybersecurity at Florida Cancer Specialist specialist and research institute and he talked about last week the cyber fundamentals and necessity which sounds like it's very broad so we are going to dive into that today and talk to him and i'm excited to get to meet him on the show since i wasn't in tampa dave welcome to the show hi thanks kim for having me on i really appreciate it and yes we had a great time at that uh, future con event well, that is great. I'm. Um, thank you so much. And I know I heard you stepped in at the last minute and moderated the CISO panel for us. And that was uh, a lot of fun. I, I'm used to being on the panel, and I've never moderated one before, but I had a great time doing it. Well, that's awesome. And then I saw um, you made a post, and it, funny enough, um, you were talking about some of your favorite books, and we can talk about some of those. But uh, Dan Lorman, he's a he's a good friend of mine and FutureCon, and he's been on the show a few times. So I was happy to see that that you did a shout out on his book, and um, good, yes, good to see see how small the world is <laughs> because there's so many of us that you know are connected all over the place. That was. Um, 
that was great. You know, we, we didn't know what to expect because the year before um, I, we were talking about this pre-show, we, um, 2022, people were still hesitant to come back to in-person events. And now, you know, it was hard to plan for 2023 and we have just been standing room only. So next year we have to double the size of everything that we secure because, you know, we're right. just, we have amazing speakers like you that come and people want to come out and, um, you know, kind of network with their other cybersecurity practitioners in the local area. But anyway, well, let's talk about you a little bit. So how long have you been with the Florida Cancer Specialist? Well, actually with Florida Cancer Specialist, uh, just passed my one year anniversary with them. Okay. Uh, I, yeah. Coming back to them, I, I came out of a semi-retirement state. I had, uh, Prior to that, I'd been with the Moffitt Cancer Center and Research Institute here in Tampa as well, and I was with them for a little over six years. Um, I, I started healthcare security uh, right at twelve, approximately twelve years ago, um, and then uh, it just uh, I, I came into that from uh, off of um, working for the federal government for twenty-one years. So I, I've, I've been around here for just a little while. Um, I have just a little over 40 years experience completely in technology area and r really started in private sector for about two years before I went into the federal government and started working that way. So did you retire and then you just decided, I can't do this? <laughs> you know, Kim, it was one of those things where I, I had no intentions of full retirement. I really, I, I, I was just at a point where with a lot of cyber people, uh, you get to a place where you have a little bit of burnout. Uh, and during COVID, it just really hit the fan in a lot of ways. And I got to the point where it was just not fun for me to go into work. Um, so I just decided to uh, just to take some time. And, and I took a year. And inside that year, my intention was to go off and pick up some jobs here and there as, a, as an advisor and consultant. So I did that. Uh, and then I had uh, Florida Cancer to reach out to me and, and told me what they were wanting to do. And I just felt like the, the mission of being in cancer treatment was just, I just loved it doing with Moffitt. And I thought, you, you know, you all are right here doing the same type of mission. I'm more than happy to come back in and, and help you get this, your program running and, and running well. So that's kind of why I came back out of the semi-retirement and joined Florida Cancer. Well, that's awesome. You know, it's interesting that we're talking about retirement because I, um, on kind of just a side note, my LinkedIn, I had just found out that I have a lot of connections on LinkedIn and I've, I got to 30,000 connections and LinkedIn doesn't allow you to have any more connections after 30,000. And so I started thinking, okay, there's a lot of people I should probably unconnect with. So I had some interns do that. And then I saw all these retired, there's probably a hundred pages of retired people, but I didn't want my interns like, like unconnecting them. I was like, this is something tedious I'm going to have to do because there's too many people that I know in the in industry that will say retired and now they're back. And I don't you want know, to take them away. That's, a, that's the same way with me. I, it, you know, I, I don't think I can ever fully retire from this field. I love it way too much. And I have a big passion for the security field, especially technology. Um, so I'm not sure I'm ever going to fully retire from this. There may be some point in time where, I don't know, maybe my wife will make me fully retire, but uh, other than that, I think she enjoys me getting away every once in a while anyway, so. Well, I agree. I feel like working makes you, keeps you young, keeps your mind healthy, 
you know. It, well, you cyber can, can do that. Yeah, if you can, I guess it's the whole work-life balance thing. If you can figure that out, then, you know. Then, exactly, um, yes. Yeah, but um, I have, uh, who is this? Oh, Michelle Piazza. Um, oh, she just said that I'm with you, Dave. So, yeah, and, and it's interesting because there is a CISO from uh, Rockwell out of, uh, I don't know if you know her. I just went completely. And she said, I am retiring. She posted it. She was one of my keynote speakers. Very, I, I think behind me, the women in uh, cyber, the top 100 women in cyber, she's in that book. And she said, I'm retiring. I'm going to spend time with my grandkids. It wasn't like two months later. Um, I, I, reached out to her to have her on the show because I was like, we, I want to talk to you about retiring as a CISO. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm not retiring anymore. <laughs> I'm working with a startup and I have some exciting things going on. So, you know, she couldn't do it. But she's still trying to have that work-life balance. It's, it's important to have work-life balance. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to live my life around what I do. I think it's part of who I am, but it's not everything that I do. And I just think it's extremely important. And, and I know there are a lot of people like that in this field that we, we do have a, you have to have actually really like the field that you're working in and you have to have a passion to do what we do. And, and I've always told myself that if that passion ever goes away, that's when I will fully retire and leave. But honestly, right now, I can't think, I can't think of that even happening anytime soon. Yeah, I can't even vision it. I can't. I, I couldn't even vision what retirement. What would I do? You know, I love my job. So, what what would you do? You know, so as long as you have the freedom to be able to do things, and I try to be that way with my team too. You know, like when they go on vacation, I'm like do not open your laptop. You know, you need to check out completely. So I think that's really important. It is very much so. I I, uh, I I I just I meet a lot of people when I'm out, and and it's you can always tell the real passionate ones and the others that are just thinking about being passionate about the field and not quite sure yet. And you can tell the big difference between those that you're speaking with that are passionate. Uh, absolutely. So so how did you tell us a little bit about your career? And you worked for the federal. What did you do with the federal government? I worked for the Department of Navy. Uh, oh, I was, in, I was I was in the Navy, so just FYI. <laughs> well, I'm so I want to make it really clear: I was not in the Navy. I was a federal employee that worked for the Navy, um, and I make that distinction because my wife is actually retired Navy. Oh, okay. Um, and she she was a CRNA for the Navy, and that's what she did. And and uh, she makes it very clear to me that when you're introducing yourself, make sure you say you are not in the Navy. I'm the one that was in the Navy. <laughs> so, and it really, and it's real. It's funny because when we're out, uh, you know, we're 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 doing uh, shopping someplace, and and the the organization will accept uh, military discounts, and I pull out my uh, my federal ID. Um, they're there and she's with me. They'll always thank me for my service. And, and she's really quick to jump in and say, he's not the one I am. <laughs> <laughs> Does she have something that she has that, because I don't have, you know, I don't have anything. I, I'm always like, people are like, you shouldn't get that. I, but I didn't, if she retired, I didn't, you know, I, I was, I did six years active and four years inactive, mm -hmm. but. Well, first, thank you for your, your, you know, your, what you've done. I really do appreciate that. And, and I, I try to thank every veteran out there. I think it's just important that we always acknowledge who they are. Um, she was, uh, she, she actually, I think has 20, 23 years 
Wow. Um, she, yeah, she retired uh, as a, um, as a commander. Um, oh, and she, wow. then she did when she, she, she did that for a little while and she went into, uh, medical at the local, she worked for the VA in Tampa or in St. Petersburg for a while. And then she worked at some of the local hospitals. She's actually the one that, that kind of got me introduced to doing security for the medical field, because as I left the federal employment, uh, it, it's kind of funny for my, so for my background in, in my career, um, after 21 years in, and that was in 2005, I just crossed 20 years and she was called up active duty to go to Kuwait, um, you know, during the, during the, the Gulf War time period. And that was when our two youngest boys were ages two and three. And with mama leaving to, to go off for that for, for potentially a year, I decided that it was a good time for me to leave federal employment after crossing and getting my retirement to uh, at home. And what I did, stayed home, we watched the boys while she was overseas. And I started a consulting business and that's kind of how I stayed into it for a, while she was gone. Wow, amazing. What an amazing woman. I just have the utmost respect for the women that left their kids and went over and did that. I just... It's it's a it's a huge sacrifice and it is really tough on families and I think anytime we can give our support to the veterans that are going through that I think we should be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't give them society doesn't give them as much respect as they deserve. Right. So, and there's some really great people. You know, Trent Brummel. He's out of Denver and he's an ISO and um, he works like when he's not working his cybersecurity job, he works with the veterans trying to help them. I always like to shout him out because I think he just he has kind of is serving his life for the veterans, and I think that's amazing for him. A um, couple other, I always like to acknowledge our listeners out there. Mark uh, Harkin, thanks for uh, joining today. He just said it's in the blood, which is true. And back to Michelle Piazza. I mean, I was just in Italy. I feel like I'm talking to someone from Italy. She said our uh, our our position pro bono are paid, and she said thank you both for your service. I I um was when I was in San Diego, I worked with a lot of. Um, like Navy, they worked for the Navy, but I worked for the military police for my last couple of years. So there was a lot of, and, and, you know, there was a lot of, you know, retired police officers that would come and work on the Naval bases. And then you had, you know, Boeing and I can't, I can't, you know, all the, all the, I, cause I always were, I was on the air side. So mm -hmm. there was always, um, I felt like I was always working with a lot of people that were probably like you. Well, it's a great community. It really is. And uh, I will say that uh, there are a lot of times I miss working for the Fed, federal government, and specifically the military, because I, I got to do and see a lot of things that, that the public just doesn't get to do. And the technology that I was exposed to was fantastic. And I think is part of the foundation of where I ended up building, you know, when I went back into the public sector, it really came from all of my uh, military experience that I was able to work with. Well, that's awesome. So then, so you worked for the federal government, then your wife went away to Kuwait. Now, how long did she stay over there? And thank she, God she came back. Fortunately, you know? it was, uh, she wasn't, she didn't have to spend uh, over a year there. She was there less than a year. Um, but it was, uh, it was still very challenging during that time, especially with, a, a you know, with, with the two boys of being age two and three. Wow. Uh, when they came home, we, we met her at the airport and, uh, 
it, it was obvious that uh, at that age, uh, it was it was difficult for the boys to, and when, you, when you're age two, you know, the youngest one was age two, and you haven't seen mom for nearly 10 months, that's almost like he doesn't even know who she was when she yeah. came back. And that, that was a, that was a tough point, but it didn't take, it didn't take long for them to warm back up to her. Wow. And she volunteered to go? Like No, was she was actually called up. Oh, she was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She, yeah. at the time she was, uh, uh, doing reserve duty. Um, and then, yeah. then they just, you know, then they, obviously they activated the reserves and that's when she went. I had just gotten out of the reserves, like the first round of everything. And um, honestly, I was getting ready to have kids. I think I did have one of my, I think I had my son and I purposely, you know, got out because I didn't want to leave, mm -hmm. you know. It's, it's tough. It was tough, but we, we got through it and I think we're better for it on this side of it. Well, it's, I mean, the military only makes you stronger. I mean, it yeah. definitely, I mean, I'm sure she's amazing just what she's gone through. So that's, that's awesome. So tell her that we appreciate her service. I will um, do that. I will do that. She, she is an amazing woman and uh, I can't, I can't thank her enough for the support she gives me and what I'm doing. So what, so then you started your consulting business and then what were you, how long did that take off and how long did you stay in that? Well, I ran that business. Uh, actually, I, I ran that business for several years uh, and it actually started it while I was working for the federal government um, as a side, as a side job. Um, and, and I, uh, I guess I probably, as I left the, the federal employment, I probably did my consulting business for not quite two years before I went into the medical side. It was a, it was a story about my, you know, since my wife was doing medical anyway, she had a lot of friends in that area. And one of our very dear doctor friends had mentioned to her that I have a, that they had a position opened at the local hospital in St. Petersburg. Um, and maybe I'd be interested in coming over and working security for a hospital. And, and I just said, well, why not? So I'll just go make a discussion with uh, the CIO there. And before I know it, they're offering me the position and, and I go into healthcare security. Uh, and early on, I'll tell you that uh, that was a big culture shock for me uh, after being with the military and, and, you know, with the Navy and doing everything inside the Navy that I was doing, which by the way, was technology and, and some security. Uh, going into healthcare, I, I naively thought that healthcare, because of the amount of data that they had and, and the regulatory requirements that they had, they were, they were doing things appropriately and correctly. And I learned real quick that was not the case. So the, I guess early on, in the, probably within the first couple of years of working for uh, a healthcare, uh, I, I had to overcome a lot of preconceptions and how to deal with uh, pushback with security and how to appropriately speak with uh, your your stakeholders and your users and specifically the medical community. But fortunately, having experience with my wife in the medical community, I had a way in and was able to, to talk with several doctor friends and how to speak with them and how to uh, you know bring in security. But it was that was a rough going the first few years in healthcare because it was a I just didn't think I was going to get anything done. I had to rethink how to implement a lot of things. So was that like post like HIPAA stuff or were you like part of it, that? It was post HIPAA. It, it was, um, it, it was, you know, as with any regulation that comes out, everybody kind of waits and see what the fallout's really going to be and how it's going to be implemented. Um, 
HIPAA itself was very in the early stages wasn't taken as serious as it should have been uh, with healthcare orgs because nobody really understood a lot of it. Um, but it was, uh, it, yeah, definitely post post HIPAA, um, and it got to the point where that was the earliest thing that I had to learn was to how to appropriately let everybody know what requirements were done. It wasn't that we just needed to be doing this for our own protections. It was really a regulatory requirement in a lot of areas. And that was kind of early on. That's what I had to go through first was let them know that, hey, these are federal regulations that we have to do. Um, and, you know, the, the other thing, too, about entering healthcare at that point, um, we all we all used to think that security was more about protecting the data around you know, the patients. And, and, and obviously, that is a very serious part of our job is is data protection. It's nothing like it has been in the last, you know, seven to 10 years where it's switched from data protection to actually protecting the organization from downtime um, due to due to cyber incidents. Uh, ransomware has been a big changer for all organizations that they're not they're not as focused on data protection as they are just keeping the business operational. Uh, and that's really where this uh, where I've seen cybersecurity morph it's kind of funny, Kim, because early in my career, um, I was I was pulling out some of my documentation when I worked for the government, and in, in the late '90s, while I was there, uh, I actually it was it was quite quite comical. Actually, I pulled out a, a memorandum that had um, appointed me a position where I was located at the time as the information system security officer. I'm like, wow, you know, in the in the '90s. Nobody ever really heard of security officers from a from a computer technology standpoint. It was just in the early stages. But here I am with a with an appointment letter that named me as an ISSO, which I kind of thought was funny because as I was working all that security stuff, we were actually doing um, early on a system and application risk assessments in the in the 90s. Um, and that's just something that's really taken off more in the last 20 years than it was in the 90s. So, you know, as I look back on my career, it was all a setup for what I'm doing today. And, and I, I would not trade that experience for anything in the world. I can't imagine the journey that you've seen, you know, from the 90s to now, just the advancement. Um, I've been doing this for a long time, 20 plus years. So, you know, 25 years ago when I started my first company doing these kind of events, they weren't cybersecurity events, you know. Right. I, you know, and... Like you said, you just being in the industry, you kind of just start seeing these titles develop. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's when did they start? You know, who knows? But um, I can only imagine the journey that you've seen with just, you know. It's, where, been, a, it's been a major yeah. change. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny. Again, in the 90s, you didn't hear the term cybersecurity. It, it just it, it wasn't there. It, it was information security or IT security. Um, and I think it's that's where we're morphing to that cyber is to me, you know, I've heard some arguments saying that cyber security is part of information security. Um, personally, I think it's kind of the other way around. Information security is, is now part of cyber. And the reason I say that is because cybersecurity is considered uh, a holistic approach to all technolo technological cyber because we in cyber, we worry about, uh, again, business continuity. We worry about the disaster recovery. We are worried about data protection, uh, privacy protections. It's all encompassing of all of this. And then inside the cyber realm itself, you have, you know, you have 
the devices themselves. You have the users you have to to consider. Um, you have applications. You know, you've got network. It's it's all inclusive, and that to me just doesn't fit under the title of information security. That that fits under a broader range of title, like like cybersecurity does. I mean. Like, when did you have to start worrying about devices? And I'm talking about devices, you know, of someone having, you know, uh, I, I forgot, you know, something that helps your heart pump. What's that called? Uh, pacemaker? A pacemaker. Yep. I'm blank on that. You know, things like that. Just things that, you know, when did you have to start worrying about, you know, bad actors? You know, like, we never thought of that stuff. Like, when did that become a risk? Well, actually, pacemaking, I just take your pacemaker one, for instance, uh, that actually was in the 90s, um, because at that point, even the pacemakers in the 90s, and may even been earlier than that, um, the way the way uh, a person that had one was able to know whether it was functioning correctly and even battery levels of your pacemaker, um, the patient could actually hold the phone up to the pacemaker and they would read through the phone lines back to the other end that gave information that the pacemaker was putting off to let it let us know you know let the the doctor know the health and the battery levels of the pacemaker now when did we have to start worrying about that was when uh threat actors started learning that they could take advantage of that type of activity uh to potentially do what they're doing today in in holding things for ransom or stealing data that they can resell uh, from, but from a device standpoint, I would say that it was shortly before 2000 um, when when a lot of IoT stuff was starting to hit, and and obviously all of these devices that that manufacturers were coming up with, and and the advent of the cell phone, and and these. I mean, when your cell phone is more powerful than any computer we've ever had in the past. Now you've got something you can carry around and do some pretty good damage with. So technology is fantastic, but it can also be used for evil if, if you know if someone wants to. So, what is your um, primary function, or or your challenges that you're doing now at um, you know at the uh, cancer at the Florida Cancer? And can you tell us a little bit about what they are and what they do? before we so, get into what you do? Sh sure. Florida Cancer Specialist is actually one of the largest um, physician-owned oncology um, setup. It's basically one of the largest in the nation, but we are definitely the largest in Florida. Um, and it is, again, it's, it's owned by a, a group of physicians, and um, it's, it's strictly oncology uh, care and, and research. They're going off into the research realm. So, um, with that experience that I had previously in the research area, I was bringing, I'm bringing that into the program there. And, and basically what I've been doing is building a brand new program. And that's what I like to do. I like to come into an organization that has little to no security and build a program up and get it running and operational. And, and I, that's really where I have a passion for. And I, I love doing that. So what we're doing there is we've, we're, we're building a, a good program for them and establishing that uh, we're doing as, as secure Again, two things where we're, we are securing the patient information so we can ensure that our customer or our, our patients have, um, you know, they have respect levels for us. Um, and we're also there to ensure that the business operations doesn't get impacted by any type of a, a cyber attack. And that's what we've been doing for the last month. We're going through a couple of certificate. Well, we're going through a certification right now in the high trust area. Um, 
which is a, a, a good way to just to kind of evaluate what your program looks like and where it needs to go. And we're learning a lot of things from that. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where I am with Florida Cancer. Um, we, it's amazing what we've got done um, in the last nine months. So I, took, I basically took the first 30 to 60 days just to do an evaluation. And then we brought some other people on and we've built a team. Um, we, we, we have a really, I have an excellent team right now running and we've divided it out into several areas. I've got three directors under me that's running, uh, areas of vulnerability management, security awareness training, risk management, uh, the security operations center, um, several other areas that, that just make up a cyber program. And we're just having a blast doing it. And, and again, the, the team is happy. We're, we're, we're making headway every day. That's amazing. I mean, that's great. Were, did you have the opportunity when you were in Tampa? Did you go around and talk to my vendors that were at that event? Um, I, yeah, I actually did. I, I had some vendors that we actually use that, that, okay. were, that were in attendance too. So I got to speak with them as well. But there was several great vendors there. Um, and I was, I was impressed with the level and quality of their presentations. A lot of times when you get into these conferences, uh, many times the presentations are geared toward the sale of the product. Um, and with this particular conference, that was not, that was not the case. It, it was a great conference to hear the aspects of these vendors and what their product is and, and basically what they're seeing in the industry and fighting against. Yeah, we definitely uh, try to stay on them about do not make your presentation to product pitch. It should be educational. So I'm yeah. glad they followed the rules. In Tampa. And they did. They did. <laughs> they did really well. Yes. No, the reason I asked that is, is it helpful when you're trying to find new, you know, systems to put in place? And, you know, how do you go about, there's so much out there. How do you go about, and I know you're probably inundated, you know, um, with people, you know, with vendors calling you and, hitting you up on LinkedIn. And I, I know what the, the CISO has to deal with. So how do you go about um, just just figuring out who you're going to use and what you're going to use and if you have the best systems in place? And are you worried about third-party vendors and how, mm -hmm. you know, any of the security that comes with that? Well, yes, you've touched several areas that are of concern and there's many more of them, Kim. Um, from a standpoint of how do you how do you determine what products to bring in really depends on your objectives and your strategy of what you're trying to get accomplished. So interestingly enough, that was why I brought what I did to the keynote address there uh, last week. Uh, was that um, was that last week or two weeks ago? Now? It was la I I think it, it was last it was week. Last it was week. last week. Yeah, yeah. Time, time flies. Yeah. In any case, the 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 that key ad note address was. Um, I was quite frankly a little nervous to give it because it's not a typical cybersecurity conference keynote address. Uh, and, and, and the reason I say that is because typically in a keynote address, you're going to hear what the latest threats are or the latest technology that's coming out and, and get a, a person's viewpoint on it. Um, I had been in the last year going through all this, I had been kind of reestablishing what's, what's going on in, in the cyber field and with organizations and why we continue to have the problems that we have in spite of all the new companies that are coming out with solutions and products. Uh, because as you know, there, there, are, there are thousands of companies and lots of new startups that are occurring um, in the last couple of years. And it's really difficult to, to get, you know, to get sift through all of them. So in the keynote address, Kim, what I really did was kind of give a, uh, give an experience of what I was having when I was building one program 
part of part of what I do when I build a program is is bring a third party in to help us, well, to give me an idea where we are maturity wise from us from the security program standpoint. And I'd gone through three consecutive years of maturity assessments with this one pro with this one company, and I had ran into a problem that I wanted. I knew where I wanted to get on a maturity level with a program, and it seemed like we would get to a, a specific level, and we could never get over the hump, and I could never figure out why. And my my team got tired of me coming back to them and, and with me asking why can't we get any more mature? What are we doing wrong? You know what's happening here. And it wasn't till about a year later that we had a, a maturity assessment performed on the IT department itself. And so we, they were using a, a level of one to five from a maturity standpoint. Um, and we were setting it on a maturity standpoint from a security program at basically 3.5. I wanted to get to a four. I always wanted to get a program to a four. When the assessment came in for the IT department itself, uh, the IT maturity level came back at a one, which is extremely immature. And it wasn't until that incident, when I read that report, it dawned on me that you can't go build security over a, an IT infrastructure or, or operations that's not mature. So that really was a game changer for me and how I started implementing different things. And it also would tell us what we're, where, where the areas that we need to be focusing on our own, you know, our own people in IT and, and the technology that they're doing. So that was, a, a, again, a big game changer for me and how programs are built because I, I was now going off and saying, okay, we're going to build this program and we want to get it mature. We need to stop as, as the cyber team and stop worrying about our realm of cybersecurity and start figuring out how we can assist our partners in the IT world, like the network team or the applications team or the development teams. How can we directly assist them in doing their job to get them at a greater maturity level so we can apply more mature processes and controls over top of that? And I'm telling you, that was a, that was a huge, uh, that was a game changer for me. And that was part of what we what the keynote address was about. It's addressing fundamentals. And I know that the I know that I think the title of the keynote was cyber fundamentals, but it was actually tech, you know, just IT fundamentals. Um, you know, if I can, if you can do, if you can have the IT department doing deployments of equipment when they have been fully patched before they even get into the environment and then maintain that as they're going along, um, you're going to be in a much better place. In fact, I think in the keynote, I actually, I actually stated it this way. The ideal world, what would it look like from, from a cybersecurity's perspective if your, if your network team always fully hardened all network devices before they deployed and had them and have a regular patching and update cycle that was always active? What would it look like if your development team and your coders were actually doing um, security testing on their code as they're writing it instead of on the back end when they get it fully developed now you're going in and trying to figure out where where they have vulnerabilities or what would it look like if your if your servers were completely hardened like it's like you know according to the checklist and what you need to be doing and that your your patch management program is patching every time the security comes out and not waiting for three or four months down the road and then trying to play catch up from there. So that's the whole idea is that, okay, we need to stop. I need to stop taking 
vulnerabilities that we're discovering during our whole our whole uh, discovery cycle and scanning cycle and just push it off on on the the server teams or the application teams let's go to them and say okay here's the problems we're having what can we do to help you fix that basic problem so again it all comes down to fundamentals and i think that's one of the issues that we're having in in the in, in the field today is we've got companies that fundamentally aren't doing things correctly and they need to fix the fundamentals before you go spend a bunch of money on security controls that's going to set over top of something that's not working correctly to begin with and that was the whole basis of the of the of the talk so i have a question for you that on that and i know there's a couple of our uh, listeners that have some questions but when you're talking about the fundamentals and you're talking about maybe some timelines that are implemented for maybe your coders or your your you know some of your different security teams do the timelines and you know the pressure to meet those timelines affect them maybe you know missing some of the pieces of you know making sure they're secure before it's finished it, it always is a challenge i mean obviously they have they have some very specific requirements they need to to meet and a lot of those are timelines um but again if that would be the job of the the CISO or the head of security for that organization to ensure that while they're developing those requirements and trying to meet timelines, that the requirements for security of that should be also part of that. And again, it's it's discussions up front that we need to be having uh, that I'm afraid we're not having up front um, in in a lot of cases. And that goes all the way down to even vendor selection and and uh, screening before we even bring a new vendor in. Uh, I think one of the biggest jobs that are one of the biggest challenges any security team has is in the vendor area where you have if you don't have mature processes throughout the organization you're going to find that uh, you know you've got a department out there that's already purchased something and they're ready to implement it and it's never been screened and security's never had a chance to look at it and even advised how it should be deployed um, and that is a setup for for a potential issue down the road because I have had instances where that is done and all of a sudden we're now pulled in and we look like the bad guys because we weren't pulled in up front. We could resolve the issue before it occurred. Now we're trying to fix the issue after the deployment and it's interrupting or potentially causing a delay in getting a new product into the environment. And in healthcare, that sometimes that can be very detrimental because in, in healthcare, you, you're talking about some systems that that definitely play into patient care. Um, and that is a, that's a, obviously a big in issue inside healthcare. Yeah, that's, that's, gosh, just the challenges that you guys have and the challenges that the CISOs have and the challenges that the healthcare has in general right now. I know that, um, you know, I, when I was just recently having a physical and I'm pretty good friends with my doctor because I've been with him forever and he's just, and he works part-time at the ER and he just said the healthcare says, you know, we're like three years behind because of COVID, you know, mm -hmm. just can't catch up. And so I can't imagine what the restraints are on the security teams because, you know, the healthcare industry is, you know, trying to catch up from, you know, what happened with COVID. So how does, is, are you still seeing an impact on with you and what you guys are doing? Um, from, a, from a COVID perspective, no, um, but we still, we do face that. I, I would suggest that uh, if anybody's looking at getting into healthcare security leadership, um, my recommendation is always talk to who you're gonna be reporting to as well as the CEO 
and and get their take on their position of what what they're looking for their organization. I can guarantee you that you're not going to be able to build a successful program if you don't have leadership buy-in into security uh, and that support that goes forward. And that all basically depends on your communication style and your and and how well you can communicate. But again, I, I would myself, I I would be very picky at going into any company that I've not had a chance to speak with um, the leadership, the senior leadership, and get their take on. How, what, what their expectations are from a security standing, um, because that that's one of the biggest challenges that we do have is, uh, but again, I guess, Ken, what I should say too, is my experience now over the years has, has shown me that initially healthcare was way behind from a security standpoint, and they did a really good job of catching up um, basically in the 2000s. And then the 20 teens year that came in, uh, things started changing a little bit more because now you have all the companies that are coming out with new tech. And obviously, as new tech gets introduced, we're all ready to jump on the bandwagon and do new technology faster than we should be instead of seeing how it all plays out. So the technology shift is where the challenge went from old way of protecting data to now the technology shift in introducing new potential what I call windows into your environment that could potentially cause issue. And then obviously the last, I mean, we're, you know, we're here in 2023 and AI is, you know, it, what's happened with the AI um, I don't know, explosion has really just occurred in the last few years. Um, more importantly, probably within the last 18 months, it's just really taken off. Um, and that to me, I think is a, from a security standpoint, there's a lot of concerns over it. Um, I'm not sure the concerns are as great um, in security as it is just the general use of AI anyway. And why I say that is from a security standpoint, the really the the more the two areas that I have concern with AI, one is um, the use of your data as you're putting it into AI is is used to teach the AI how it responds to other people. And that's one of the areas that you have to be very careful of. So if, you know, if you've got an organization that's doing research and, and has a pretty high level of, of protected information or um, intellectual property, and you've got users that are throwing that information into an AI, it's a strong possibility that AI engine that you're using could be using that to provide answers to other people that are asking similar questions. And that's what's happening some, in some of the areas where you're getting data loss in AI. Um, my bigger, my, obviously my bigger concern in that area of AI is what the threat actors and how easy it is to get a hold of AI, um, which I'm, I, when I use the term AI, it's very loose because I don't think there's, a, I think many people out there in the AI world are touting AI that they really don't have AI. Um, it's more glorified algorithms and a little more machine learning than is artificial intelligence. Regardless, it's out there. And my concern is how easy it is to start using this now and the threat actors start taking advantage of it. We've got a whole new level of play that a cyber team is going to have to be very much aware of from simple um, AI-generated phishing techniques to actual vulnerability uh, ex exploitations that are going to come about by AI instead of an individual, which means it can happen faster. Obviously, the big difference between AI and an individual is AI can do something a lot, you know, a magnitude greater than what an individual can do. And it takes time for an individual to come up with some of these exploits, but an AI can virtually do something within minutes. And that's the hard part about security and AI. And um 
I know that we're going to run out of time before I, there's so many things I want to ask you, but since you are a research institute, you know, what are your thoughts with chat GPT and is that going to replace some of your, you know, researchers? I mean, do, do you see that? I do not know? see, I, I, not anytime soon do I see AI actually replacing individuals. Uh, it, it's still highly unknown. Um, it is not to the place where it's 100% dependent. You know, when you have AIs that are, are that are actually out there and they're considered legitimate, there's still the hallucination factor that an AI can do, um, and that takes an individual to to call that out and get that corrected. Um, in in our organization, um, we're actually blocking all access to AI from the network, and and what we're doing right now is is kind of coming up with new policy, and hearing clearly what our researchers or our physicians may need AI for. And then what we're working on is a potential instance of, of putting our own AI in um, so we can secure the, uh, everything around it. So our data that, that our AI is learning from isn't being shared out uh, with any, any place else. Or if it is, it's who we know it's being shared out with. So, th you know, there's, there's simple things you can do to protect yourself against an AI usage. Uh, but again, in healthcare, it can be, you have to just be very careful when you're using AI just because you don't know whether that answer that comes back is actually 100% accurate. Um, and and I, there's just, a, to me, there's still a lot of legal things that has to be worked out from the legal side of this because, you know, you're talking liability if something is returned and you actually use the information that AI is returned. We all know that in, in the physician world, the physician's ultimately responsible for the, the care of their patient. But if a physician is actually using AI to help do diagnosis, prognosis, you know, and, and all of that, how how much liability is there on the on the company that the AI is coming from and providing information to the physician? Um, you know, there's all kinds of questions, and I, I don't even think we've begun to address the 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 ethical side of the AI, and I think there's still going to be a lot to be learned over the next few years. Well, I know um, it's it's been a few months ago, but I, I won't do this again. I was running late for my show, just as I was today, you know, and um, I threw, I had a guest and I threw her name in chat GPT and it popped out a bio for her and I used it during my introduction and it was wrong. <laughs> and then it, it kind of tied in okay to the show because I was like, okay, well, this is a perfect example of, you know, it had her where she was working wrong, you know. Right, so, right. And so, I've seen several of those return. Even even if I, even if you do mine, I, I, it's amazing the amount of misinformation that's out there, and and it, it's kind of crazy. I've done the same thing with myself. Yeah. So that was uh, luckily I was on a cybersecurity show that I could you know turn that around really quickly mm -hmm. and use that for my benefits. Right. You right. know. But um, a couple of things, Glenn Bourbon out there, he he said this a long time ago, so we're probably past what he was talking about, but he said, I love doing that as well. Not the entire EIS, but the third party assessment program. And um, Michelle Piazza said, Dave and Kim, are you finding, this kind of ties into what we were talking about. Are you finding vendors are jumping on the AI bandwagon trying to retrofit their offerings? Yeah, in response to Glenn, I think he's probably referring to when I saw that comment come in, it was when I was talking about building 
security programs and I have a passion for doing that. And I think that's when he dropped that comment in. So I'm assuming that he's, he's, he has a passion for doing that as well. Um, and third party assessments has become a major player in a security program right now. Uh, if you've, I mean, obviously, you know, I could sit here and rattle off the top five areas that we have the biggest concerns in anything. And everybody's probably going to either agree that they may put them in different orders, but Third parties are always the always in that top five that you have to understand who your people are because that's that's where threat actors are typically going to hit you. If they've already tested your own systems, they're going to go after your third parties and see if they can infiltrate that way. So third party is always a big one. I, I can bring up one, for instance, here lately. Uh, the reason why they're that is because we heavily depend upon third parties to do a lot of stuff in healthcare. And if any one of those gets has a problem or they're down, it can impact us. And we had an instance um, recently where a company was uh, hit with ransomware and it shut down some of our system uh, reporting side of the house. And they were out of commission for four months, which means we were out of commission for that area for four months. And we had to be, we had to resolve back to doing things manually. And, and that is a big resource problem inside healthcare because if you, if you start taking up resources, now you are impacting patient care because people just don't have, um, they just don't have the time to be doing things that they normally would have done by whatever the program was or, or whatever automatic process you have in place. So third party is at the top of that list. Um, and then for Michelle on the AI question, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of companies jump on that AI bandwagon, probably more than they should. And, and again, I think that was my reference when I was saying that you see a lot of people touting AI when it's not really AI. Uh, I think it's a, it's an unfortunate buzzword that occurs right now. Um, and I think, I think we're going to see some major changes in that AI landscape from a regulatory perspective coming up in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think it might be a lot like zero trust, you know, you got, you know, you Google zero trust and every company in the world does zero trust, but zero, you know. Yeah, you know, Kim, I would, uh, I have some very strong feelings about zero trust. Um, I, it, it's an absolute right way to go about it. But if you go back to fundamentals, if companies aren't doing fundamentals right, you're never going to implement zero trust in a, in a, in an area where basics aren't being done correctly. Um, so it's a difficult thing to do. Zero trust is not easy to do because it, it especially with, with companies that have been doing it wrongly for so long, making changes like that is a fundamental problem and a culture shift that has, you have to go through. So just coming in and doing zero trust, in a lot of cases, it's gonna shut down things. And in healthcare, that's a very difficult thing to implement. But yeah, zero trust is good. Um, there, are, there are different names for it. Uh, just like cloud security, you know, or cl cloud offerings is not is not anything new. Um, anytime you, you know, in the past, and I can I can tell you, 30 years ago, we were talking about offshoring, or not not, not necessarily offshoring, but outsourcing uh, data storage, and that's kind of what you call cloud, you know, cloud today. It, it's you're really just having somebody take on that responsibility, moving your data storage someplace else. We were doing that in the government at that time. Um, it wasn't cloud but it just came up with a nice fancy word and that's where it evolved to so you know that that's kind of way i see the new tech tech terms that are popping up there's really to me there's really nothing new that's occurring right now except for the ai field that that definitely is a new field and then we're starting to work into quantum computing quantum computing which is going to play a big role in all this going forward as well 
So we have about three minutes left, and I knew that I, I knew it was going to fly with you. But what would be some of your key, you know, points that you would want to leave with our viewers, or what they should be, you know, really back to cyber fundamentals? If you could give some bullet points on what you think is the most important thing that they should be thinking about every day. Sure, I, I think, I, and uh, right off the bat, I would suggest that if you are if you are a leader in a cyber field in a company, uh, one of the first things I would recommend is how important to do a maturity assessment is. That really gives you a baseline of where you are and what you need to be fixing. Because remember, there's not a technology out there or an application out there that can be brought in to correct fundamental issues. It's something that you already have to be doing correctly. So looking at your fundamentals, and that's a, a wide area, um, you know, your patching, your hardening, your deployment of desktops, um, how you, your CMDB is a big one. We could talk a long time about a CMDB. And what I mean by a CMDB is your asset management. Do you even know what's on your network? And it's, it, I go back to the old, you know, the classic saying, you can't protect what you know, what you don't know you have. That's where the asset management comes in. Um, and a lot of times that's, that's extremely important. So those would be the couple of things that I would highly recommend. And, you know, if people have questions for you or wanted to get a hold of you, um, what's the best way to reach out to you? I, I'm LinkedIn. Uh, it, I, I, unless it's just a cold solicitation, I will always respond to anybody on, on LinkedIn if they have questions, because again, I'm passionate about this. Um, and then on LinkedIn, I can share, uh, you know, more personal how we can communicate from from there. So, yeah, look look me up on LinkedIn. Appreciate that. Yeah, I can attest that that is how uh, I found you to keynote our event in Tampa. And I feel like I definitely have one of the best jobs ever because I get to talk to people like you who are some of the brightest, most intelligent people in the industry. So I really, really appreciate you saying yes and um, to keynoting. And I just asked Dave like two days ago, can you be on my uh, show? And you said that you just drove 17 hours. Where, where, where were you driving from? Well, I was driving from Florida up to Indiana. We've I've got a little slight medical emergency with my, my pet cat, which oh. my pet cat is very dear to me. And I've got, uh, uh, actually, I have a friend here that, well, not a friend. She's actually my daughter-in-law. It's a veterinarian up here. And I brought her all the way up here for this. They were doing surgery on my cat today. So that's kind of why I took that 17-hour drive. Well, we wish your cat very well. And uh, <laughs> Dave Summit, he's the VP of Cybersecurity at Florida Cancer Specialist and Research Institute. So glad to have him on the show. Thank you for being here today, Dave. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in for another episode of And Security for All. I hope you all have an amazing weekend. Stay safe, stay secure, and we'll see you next Friday. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.
Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.